Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today I want to welcome Daniel Darling to the podcast. Dan serves as vice president for communications for the ERLC. Uh, For those who don't know the ERLC, that stands for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Dan, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Hey, it's an honor to be here. I, I love the podcast. I love uh, what you're doing at Midwestern uh, Seminary. Uh, you're so kind, and uh, we appreciate you and, of course, your ministry there at the RLC and our many friends and colleagues there. And it's good to have you on the podcast today, and I've uh, been looking forward to this. You have a new book out called The Dignity Revolution. As I said to you as we were conversing before the podcast started, um, this is a little bit outside of our, our typical kind of conversation and podcast on this program, but I wanted to uh, to engage it in a way to uh, to draw attention to your work, and in particular to draw attention to the topic. And so the name or the title of the podcast today is The Pastor and Human Dignity. The Pastor and Human Dignity. So we got a lot to talk about. You have a great new book out. Before we get to that, though, tell us about yourself, uh, your what's, what's new with you and your family and ministry, ERLC, and so forth. So, so give us a little Dan Darling update. Yeah, so uh, I'm... I've been married for 16 years to Angela. Um, she's from Texas, so uh, she's you know you could take the girl out of Texas, but you can't take the Texas out of the girl, as they say. <laughs> um, and I've got uh, four beautiful children. We have three girls and a boy. Our oldest is 14, and our youngest is seven. And we live here in Nashville. We've lived here for about five and a half years. We love love it here and love what we get to do at the ERLC. I'm also a uh, an elder at our church. Uh, near Nashville, at Green Hill Church. Uh, I'm a uh, pastor of teaching and discipleship. Uh, so that's that's kind of where our life is at this point. Yeah. What what as it relates to this book, the the Dignity Revolution? What prompted you to write it? Well, a couple things. I think first, I've always been fascinated by the way that the Bible describes what it means to be human. I mean, when you open the pages of Genesis, right there, you know, you you have Moses narrating the creation of the world, right, and he's saying about how God spoke all these things into existence. He, uh, but then he like slows down his narration when it comes to the way that humans were created and uses this rich language that God, um, whereas everything was spoken into existence, for, for humans, God reached with his hand, it, it uses that language, uh, to the dust of the ground and sculpts humans uh, with his hands uh, and breathes into them the breath of life. And then, of course, we have David saying, uh, in Psalm 139, that every human being is knit by God with care in their mother's womb. Uh, and, and, and Genesis, of course, saying that every human being uniquely is stamped with the image of God. And so, you know, what, what does that mean for the way that we see ourselves um, and for the way that we see the world? I think it has profound uh, implications. I think human dignity is one of the best gifts that Christianity gives to the world, that there, there's traces of human dignity in other philosophies and religions, but uh, Christianity has the most robust vision for what it means to be human. Mm, that last sentence was pure gold. Fully agree, and that is one of the distinct contributions of Christianity to the world, acknowledged oftentimes, not not often enough, but oftentimes by even unbelievers mm-hmm. uh, who see that, whether it's through humanitarian effort or the general ethic of, uh, of Christ. Um, so the book, you, you kind of summarized it a touch, but, but give us perhaps the— uh, Sharpen the thesis for us. Give us a sense of the argument you want to drive home in the book. So I think there's two things. In the first part of the book, I really try to explain what it means to be made in the image of God. I mean, there's a lot about it that we don't know, but there's a lot that we do know. Um, and 
essentially it's it's twofold. It, it first of all, it being an image bearer means that um, we are not our own; that we are created by a creator for a purpose to, to glorify Him. Um, and it also shapes the way that we see other people. So every other person is, is an image bearer. And I think I think the the thread that you see throughout the scriptures is that uh, not only does does Christianity give us a definition for what it means to be human, for how we think about ourselves and others, but also it gives us uh, in Christ a solution for a corrupted humanity. Right. So because of the fall, humans turn in on one another uh, rather than turning upward to worship God, we turn inward to worship ourselves, which causes us to lash out at uh, in violence against our fellow image bearers. But in Christ, Christ comes as the second Adam to, to redeem what the first Adam could not do. And not only is he the perfect embodiment of what it means to be human, he, he is the image of God, it says uh, in Colossians and in Hebrews, uh, but he rescues our humanity uh, in that his death, burial, and resurrection defeats sin and death in the grave, and he's restoring the process of restoring our humanity. I mean, Paul, it's interesting, in his resurrection uh, apologetic in 1 Corinthians 15, talks about the resurrection and what it does for our bodies. And so uh, I think there's just this gospel thread throughout the scriptures about uh, about not only hum- being human is a good thing that, that God intended, but that God has rescued our humanity. So as it relates to human dignity in general, what is the current state of human dignity in America today? Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, every generation since the fall, humans have found new and different ways to commit violence against each other, to assault the dignity of others. And so in our generation, I think we look around and we say things like abortion, right? I think, you know, several million unborn babies are killed every year. Uh, we say, hey, wait a minute, there's a human, there's a person there. You know, that's not a clump of cells or a fetus or... That, that's a human being. I think you see other areas, you know, where, um, you know, violence, uh, I think, and even some of the language we use about, even though immigration is a difficult issue that is hard to figure out sometimes, or good people disagree on, but even some of the language we use about immigrants and refugees, or even some of the ways that we neglect to care for the elderly, uh, all, all sorts of, uh, you could look around and see all sorts of assault on human dignity uh, here uh, and around the world. And I think it's really, God calls Christians, uh, redeemed image bearers to come alongside the most vulnerable. <clears throat> and when we do that, we show the world kind of a, a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like, that that the kingdom of God has come to restore and renew the world. Yeah, I, I guess to, <clears throat> to make it more tangible, Dan, uh, let me ask you two questions that are kind of different sides of, of, of the same coin. One is, give us an example of, of human dignity at its worst in America, uh, something mm-hmm. that's just going really awry and that breaks your heart. Then the other side is, give us an example of, of where you see the church in a very encouraging and helpful way engaging one of these challenges. Hmm, that's, that's really good. I mean, there's, all, <clears throat> you know, I could pick all sorts of issues. I mentioned abortion, you know, and just the, the cruel way in which we, we the most defenseless among us, uh, we, we sacrifice on the altar of convenience. We don't see their humanity. Uh, we don't want to see their humanity. We want to sort of... Uh, you know, through through legal abortion on demand, and I, the, the other thing that breaks my heart really is the increasing tribalism in the country. Where uh, when we have disagreements with one another, we don't see each other's humanity. So you think about the way we use social media sometimes, and we're having these arguments, and you know, we think we're just arguing with an avatar, but we're actually there's a real person, a human being behind that, and 
how we how we sort of dehumanize people, even in the way that we disagree. Uh, so that even in the church, that's really I think discouraging. You know, sometimes the way we we conduct ourselves. Uh, what's encouraging to me though is is this I think, um, and I tell people this all the time. And any time, I'm amazed. Like anywhere you you see um, poverty, you see injustice, you see you know particularly around the world some of the most war-torn places in the world, some of the most impoverished places in the world, you don't have to look far to see a follower of Christ there coming alongside, sharing the gospel, alleviating, alleviating human suffering. I mean, there's people that have given up really, really lucrative medical careers, for instance, in the United States, to go to places, uh, and they'll never be seen, they'll never be heard, they'll never have a platform, and they're going there to you know, bring life-saving medicine, uh, life-saving cures. I mean, it's really amazing. And so, you know, as, as much as we critique the Church, and the Church has a lot of cr- to critique, uh, in, inevitably, wherever you see human suffering, you see God's people there. Um, you, you just and, and I think that's not because—that's only because we're motivated by the Gospel, we're motivated by this idea that every human being has dignity and worth. We're, we, we see the humanity and the value where the rest of the world does not see. Mm, well said. So let me ask you this, in your reflection on this topic the past several years, and again, given our current cultural moment, and especially our current cultural moment as it relates to the ministry of the local church, as it relates to pastors and elders and ministers, uh, how is human dignity recovered? How might we see us pushing back against the culture in this way? Well, I mean, I, I think the locus of God's activity is the local church, and I actually think as much as Parachurch organizations and activist organizations are very important and often, you know, fueled and staffed by Christians. You know, the the most change is happening in the local church. And I think, the, the, actually, and, I, and maybe I'm biased because I'm a preacher, but I think this is borne out by Scripture, that the preaching act every week, the act of going through Scripture verse by verse, expository, going through the Word of God, and not just exegeting it well, but also applying it uh to actual issues that are that our congregation is facing, I think that is where the most change happens. I think that is what truly, over over a lifetime, changes people and turns them from people who might not see the dignity of other people to people to, who are compelled to love their neighbor as themselves. And I, so, I think really pastors are always the front line uh, uh, for this. So, yeah, so flesh that out for us. How can pastors actually play that role? How can they help in this recovery? So I think there's two ways that we do this. I, I think one of it is the way that we preach, and one of it is, is, is in setting the tone and the culture of the Church. And the, so the first one is, um, I think, and, and I'm, I'm biased toward expository preaching, I think going through books of the Bible, and first of all, presenting and, and rightly dividing the Word of truth, truth and preaching it well, but not just exegeting it properly, which is vital, um, but also making application uh, in a way that really challenges our people. So, for instance, you know, if I am in, if I am a pastor in Berkeley, California, and I know that my congregation uh, is, has, you know, they lean toward the issues of justice. Right. So if I'm preaching through, say, an Old Testament book on justice, I'm rightly going to talk about injustice and systemic injustice and all that stuff. But I'm also going to say, you know, things like abortion is 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 injustice, and you know, if it's a left-leaning 
culture, I'm going to press on areas that are going to make them uncomfortable, make them think, maybe make them uncomfortable within their tribe. So I'm going to make application in ways that are, you know, are, are going to not just preach to the amen chorus, not just say things that they already agree with, but press them. Same thing if I'm a pastor in, you know, in, in a red state, and and I and I come upon Psalm 139, I'm going to apply that to the issue of abortion. I'm going to say this is why we believe the sanctity of human life. But but my people are going to agree with that. But I'm also going to say, hey, these other areas where we're tempted to not see humanity, whether it's immigrants, whether it's you know any other kind of ways, or even in our personal lives, uh, these people also have value and worth. So I think it's it's in pastors knowing our people and knowing where the idols are, knowing where those issues are, and really making them uncomfortable. So I think that's the first thing is really in our preaching and our application. But secondly, and I think almost uh, equally important, is the culture we we set in the Church. So, you know, we can say that we care about human dignity and that every person has worth, but what does the culture of our Church say, right? So this is what James is getting at in his book when he says, when someone walks into your Church, how are they valued, right? So if someone comes in who has a lot of money, who has a lot of prestige, are they seen as valuable? And then someone comes in who maybe is impoverished, maybe another socioeconomic class, or maybe they're disabled. You know, how do you do you see them as having value? And we, we need to have the kind of churches that reflect, reflect the values of the kingdom of God so that when you come into our doors, we value you, not because of what you can bring to our church, not because of the you know, the, the talents that you have, but because uh, you are uh, a human being made in the image of God, you're a redeemed child of God, you're a future king and queen of the universe. So I'm thinking right now of a man in my church who has severe dementia, and he doesn't even know his wife's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes to church, he sings, he, he, he part, but he, can, he, he can't really offer us much in terms of leadership. He is as valuable to the body of Christ as that young, you know, active, you know, youth pastor or young rising leader. And, and I think we have to set the tone in our churches that way. Hey, Dan, let's take a quick break. We have a word of update from the seminary. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Ministry degree program is your next step in training for local ministry. The Doctor of Ministry program at Midwestern Seminary is designed to equip and train leaders with a commitment to the local church. With multiple emphases available, including counseling, church revitalization, expository preaching, leadership, and missions, among others, your program provides the equipping you need in practical theology for direct church work and ministry leadership. And because all of our doctoral programs are modular, you don't have to leave your current ministry to pursue your degree. For more information, visit mbts.edu today. That's mbts.edu. All right, I'm back with Dan Darling talking about his new book, The Dignity Revolution, and what that means for pastors and local churches. Dan, let me throw you a curveball here. And, uh, man, you're, you're just teasing this out in a very helpful way. So I'm going to, to throw you a curveball here, and hopefully you can knock it out of the park. Uh, we're talking about pastors and human dignity and leading our churches to think more intentional about this. Many of our listeners are fathers, and uh, I have five yeah. children. You have several young children. As, as we think about this, even our own family, and, and another angle here. So I'm in Kansas City, a major city, and to go shopping, to go to a restaurant, to go to the plaza, you all, to, 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 to go to tra- you know, traffic stops, you often are going to encounter you know, a homeless person or, or a person who appears to be mm-hmm. homeless, you know, wanting money. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, on the one hand, want to, want to rear five cold-hearted children who dismiss 
people in need, especially those who are panhandling. On the other hand, I don't want to be a sucker. Uh, I want to be strategic about what I invest in, who I invest in, when I give. Um, and again, no doubt I'm not the only father uh, who, who wrestles with this, especially as it relates to our witness for our own children. Uh, how would you encourage our listeners to handle that, and how, how do you handle it? You know, it's funny you ask that because last year uh, I was in Washington, D.C. with my daughter. She just turned 13, and we were there for the March for Life, for Evangelicals for Life, our event. And I, we stayed over a couple extra days so she could see all the monuments and stuff. We we love history in our family. And so I had a pretty tight schedule. I'm trying to get her from one place to the next. And we we dashed past this homeless veteran who was asking for money. And I'm just kind of walking past trying to get her places. And my daughter said, hey, wait a minute, Dad. we we got to help this guy. I said, oh, well, you know, I don't have any cash on me. We'll get him on the way back or whatever. It's like, no, Dad, like... He's made in the image of God. We have to stop and we have to help. And I'm like, oh, man, she's reading all my stuff. This is not good. <laughs> and so she, we, we, we double back, and she takes some of her money and gives it to this guy. And, you know, and, and for me, it was kind of like showed me how easily it is to kind of walk past. You know, like on the road to Jericho, we can easily not see that person on the side of the road. And so, you know, can we help every single person we can? I think we have to go as the Spirit leads, and if God is leading us to help somebody, I used to think that, you know, I don't want to give them money because it's just kind of enable them, they're just, you know, whether they have an addiction or they have some other issue, and that very well may be so. Um, they just kind of blow it or squander it. Um, but I had a wise uh, uh, elderly man in my my church in Chicago that told me, you know, he said, I used to think that, but now I just realized, you know, it's my job to help them, and it's between them and God with what they do with it. Um, or as C.S. Lewis says, you know, he was walking with somebody, and they passed a homeless guy, and the guy said, well, don't give him the money, he'll just squander it. And C.S. Lewis said, well, it's better him squandering it than, than me squandering it. So hmm. I think you kind of have to go as the Spirit leads, to be honest with you. That's a very very well said. And look, I've wrestled with that over the years. Um and there have been moments been very instructive for our kids and as a family there. That, and sometimes I think it's good to err in the vulnerable side then. And so if yeah. you're able to touch someone's life and impact them in that moment, that's instructive. But if you err in being vulnerable and yeah. you're taking advantage of or that person says something that's off-putting and you realize in that moment of conversation yeah. you're, that they're fraudulent and how they present themselves, well, that's instructive too. And so uh, yeah. it's one of those— Well, and I do think— I do think there is a larger principle that what you're getting at is that, you know, I don't know if it necessarily involves the homeless guy, but there is a principle of overall, what is the best way to help people? And I think good people disagree on that. You know, are there, you know, what are ways to, to not just help people, you know, in the moment, but how can we, how can we, um, how can we help them in a long-term way that is sustainable? And I think that's a really important conversation. I think people like, you know, Brian Fickert with his book, When Helping Hurts, and others have really taught us, hey, sometimes when we think we're helping someone, we're actually not helping. So I think it's a good conversation. So, Dan, as relates to this issue of, of human dignity, and again, we're trying to think intentional about this. Your book is very helpful in this regard. Uh, is there anything you'd encourage pastors not to do? Uh, are there pitfalls to avoid? Is there t- are there times when pastors are trying to be helpful, but they're just unhelpful? Uh, coach us up here. Well, I think there's a couple things. One, even when we talk about being made in the image of God, sometimes we use language um, unintentionally that implies your value is based on 
your gifting. So sometimes we'll say the things that make us human are our ability to reason and think and and create and innovate. And that is true. I mean, that you see that right after Genesis 126, where it immediately goes into how Adam has a job and he works. But that's not all that makes us human, because, you know, there are many people who can't, who don't have their cognitive abilities or disabled. They bear the full image of God. And so it, I think we have to be careful how we use that language. And sometimes we talk about the image of God being diminished or or whatever, and the Bible doesn't really use that language. It just says even even you know after the fall, even in the New Testament, we have a full image of God. We have full value. The other thing that I think is really important that I think pastors really need to be thinking about, and maybe we're not, is we live in a in a digital age where a lot of people are asking, "What does it mean to be human?" And you've probably read some of the data or read some of the books about this generation that is increasingly wired, uh, connected but lonely and lacking kind of friendships and, and a meaningful community. And I think the church on Sunday is the one, maybe the one place where people who are digitally exhausted can come and find community. And, and just think about how analog our services are, right? We're, we're standing and singing. We're hearing the guy behind us who's off key. We're hopefully flipping the pages of our Bible. We're, you know... We're sitting together, we're praying together, we're, you know, we're sometimes sharing meals together. That, you know, that kind of analog community, that kind of embodied community, I think is going to be more important in the coming age. I think the church will actually be an oasis. I think what we do on Sunday with those weekly rhythms of worship is going to be increasingly an oasis. And I think pastors, particularly youth pastors, have to be wary of, I don't think churches should be behind the times. I think we should use technology for the gospel. But we should be wary of um, being so far out ahead, and even the way that we use technology in our services, in our, in our youth groups, uh, are we making the problem worse, or are we giving people a place to rest and find community? Well said. Dan, I think we'll leave it at that. My friend, I thank you for your time today. The Dignity Revolution by Good Book by uh, The Good Book Company is out, and you've been out now, what, I guess several months, and uh, appreciate this book yeah. so much and your work. And uh, you can get this book, I guess, most anywhere books are available. Absolutely, yeah, and I appreciate you having me on. And again, appreciate just this podcast and really the great work that you're doing there in uh, Kansas City. All right, until next time, my friend, thank you for being on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.